Happy fucking Canada Day and welcome back to another episode of In the Zone. I am Anthony Pinello, joined by the boys that always steer the ship, Chris Martelli, Giancarlo Alino. We got to get to this NHL draft lottery because I am still thrown off by it. Chris, what are you thinking? Uh, this is um, it's a tough situation for the whole NHL and for the fans. We haven't had sports in four months and then... This happens where you just assume it's going to go to either Detroit or Ottawa because the year they had was just, I can't even put it into words how bad it was. Ottawa looked like the 67s. Uh, they looked like the AHL for the longest time. Like when your assistant captains are Borowicki, Hainsey, and someone else, that just shows how bad this team actually is. No disrespect to guys like Kachuk. You know, the guys that we all know are good. And, you know, the story with Bobby Ryan this year was good as well. But other than that, you know, this season was a wash for them. But, like, let's just get into Detroit. Like, this year, like, Larkin was injured for 20 games. Mantha was injured for 20 games. It's like they purposely tanked to try and get Lafreniere. And then you tank. And for some reason, they don't even get in the top three. They're now at fourth overall. So if I'm a Red Wing fan, that's just that's terrible. You can go from Lafreniere to still like a probably a really good prospect in like a Drysdale, but still like that's just a big fall off. But in terms of the the, the team, the team that got the first pick, it's a it's a to be announced playoff team, which means whoever loses first potentially gets. The first overall pick, and not guys, I'm just going to make this prediction right now. Pinello, you're going to hate me for this. I think the first overall pick, it's a perfect fit. He's going to go to Montreal. Alexis Lafreniere is going to go to Montreal because I don't see Montreal winning a game against Pittsburgh. I see them getting swept, and you know what? They're just going to look at it and be like, you know what, Montreal? What did they finish, like 25th this year? Like they, they had no business being in the playoffs I think they were one point ahead of Buffalo. Um, I, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm convinced that with his last name, this guy is going to Montreal. So in terms of the whole draft lottery thing, a lot of people could say it's rigged just based off of the results. But I, I didn't even talk about the number two pick. What do you guys think with the LA Kings in this situation? Because we all know that they've been. You know, they've kind of been low-key rebuilding. They're an older team now. You know, they won in 2011, 2013. They had that little dynasty run there. Um, but now, you know, Kopitar's 32 years old. Jonathan Quick's 34, 35. It looks like his groin injuries have kind of gotten the better of him. So what are you guys' thoughts on the Kings actually getting the second overall pick? Uh, yeah, for the, <clears throat> yeah, for the LA Kings, it's just another year. I don't, I don't really know if it's low key that they're rebuilding. I think we've kind of seen it coming over the years, but like guys like Kopitar and Doughty, all those guys are still producing and they have all these young guys that have been coming along the last few years. They've just been building through the draft, like you said. So, uh, I feel bad for LA. <laughs> they're going to be there every year. Uh, I think I feel worse for Detroit in this situation, but, uh, for LA, yeah, this is, you know, just nail on this pick and then keep going from there. Yeah, I'm surprised that L.A. didn't get the first overall pick. I thought they were going to actually get it because it's a pandemic time. The league's going to be struggling. Put Lafreniere in L.A., get some uh, buzz going on in that market. So I thought he was going to go to L.A. If this whole if there was no pandemic, Ottawa probably would have got the pick. But 
Yeah, the league's struggling. They're not sending him to Ottawa, a team that can't even sell anything out, struggling, the owner, no one likes. So I think Gary was looking at that. You know what? We're rigging the slaughtery big time. And uh, to get some more interest, I guess, they're marketing now another lottery. So all the teams that don't go in that first round, they don't advance past the play-ins. They're going to have another lottery for the first overall pick. So this is a good strategy by the NHL. I think uh, a lot of people, once Ottawa had all these odds, they should have assumed that this was coming. And I think it's probably going to be either Montreal or Arizona, depending on how the playoffs uh, plan out. Uh, if Arizona makes a run and they're able to get past the first round, uh, Edmonton, you can't rule out. You never know what dumb. They might squeak in and get a first overall pick. But I think it is going to probably be Montreal. If they don't finish, if they get swept, they'll probably get the first overall pick. But uh, I'm going to go with Arizona, Montreal as the two favorites to get that pick for the NHL going forward. Wow. Um, the one thing with this whole situation is a lot of people now are going to watch the playoffs a little more because there's that additional um, uh, there's that additional thing there where if if the first team loses, they get the first pick. So in all of our years, you know, we've never seen this happen. So it's going to be different. It's going to be fresh. Um, a lot of people said, you know, oh, the Leafs, if they get swept by Columbus, heaven forbid, maybe we'll get Lafreniere. But I, I think that's I think that's just ridiculous. If we were to get Lafreniere, um, I really don't know what this whole team chemistry, I don't know what would happen. I know Lafreniere, we'd probably be able to afford him in the first year. But what does that mean for guys like Kappen and Neil Hender, Tavares, like all those guys moving forward, like you really have no idea. So. Like the reason I say Montreal, it's not even the last name. It's just the fit. I feel like it just fits perfectly there. I mean, you have Dolmy who could play left center. You have Drouin who could play center right. You have Lafreniere who could play left center and right. So you have three young guys under 25 that will, that can play multiple positions. Two of them, for goodness sakes, are French. So that, that just works out perfectly. Um, again, like I'm a, I'm a huge Leaf fan and you know, I could care less. I could, I'd love to see Montreal struggle every single season, but I think it's great for the for the league if a team like Montreal gets that first overall pick and he brings them back into you know a much more contending time for that franchise. Because when I went to go watch Montreal back in 2015, when Carey Price had that wonderful year, the fan base there they deserve the best. Like the fan base in Montreal is incredible. The the history's there, the culture's there. So I think if Lafreniere were to go first overall, that would really change how Montreal is looked in a year. Like imagine Shea Weber now has a young gunning guy that maybe can generate more offense. You have Carey Price who now he can maybe rely on his offense a little more and he can become a little more confident and a little more comfortable. So I think if Montreal were to get this pick, which I do see happening, I think the league will be a little more balanced moving forward. Uh, do you think for his style of play he would suit better on like a loaded team like picture him on Pittsburgh for a second I, I don't think anyone in, anticipates that happening but like do you picture him like like leading the load on one of those teams like you say Montreal is a good fit because he would be the guy there what if he went to Edmonton and he played with all of those other players what do you think would be the best for him uh I Brody, gotta go I gotta go with him leading right away 
I feel like he's a guy where like he could step in and he could lead right away. He could be the number one, number two option right away. I, I I've seen him the last two years and what he's done and what he's accomplished. And the comparables are scary. You know, at times they say he can play make like Crosby. He could play make like the best of them, like a Backstrom. He could snipe it. Um, a lot of people have compared him to like a Pedersen. Um, so I, I like we saw what Pedersen did in his first year. He came in the league and. He literally grabbed the ranks. I mean, we saw the year before that Besser was looked at as the number one guy. And then Pedersen just came right in the league and he said, yeah, I'm the number one option. So I could literally see Lafreniere doing that on any team. I think if you were maybe like like we, we don't talk about Philly either. Like what if you went to Philly? Like then it would kind of change everything. You have Gaka Couturier who is just getting into his own as an offensive player. But then you can he can maybe play more of that defensive role that he's been, you know, He's been uh, used to. So then you could have a guy like a Lafreniere who could come in and just dominate offensively. Like, we, guys, we've seen over the years, we've seen guys like McDavid. We've seen Pedersen. We've seen Eichel. We've seen Matthews. We've seen a lot of guys. These rookies are now coming in the league, and they're dominating right away, even guys like Matt Barzell. So for me, I think Lafreniere, Byfield, maybe even a guy now like Tim Stutzel who's climbing maybe even the second overall, these guys could all maybe make – that they're NHL teams this season and they can do damage right away. As we all know, guys, the league is not like how it used to be. Like 18 year olds, they're going in the league and they're dominating. Whereas before you were lucky if you made the team at like 21. So the times are changing and Pinello, I see Lafreniere. Of course it matters where he goes. If it's maybe Edmonton or Pittsburgh where they already have a star studded player, maybe he won't impact right away. But, um, I don't see him being like a Hughes or a Kako where in his first year he's like almost invisible. So I think Lafreniere, I think he's above those two guys in terms of uh, quality and what you're going to get. So I think Lafreniere, either way, he's going to he's gonna dominate, I think, in his first year in the NHL. Yeah, I think he will, though. Because if you look at some of these rookies when they come in, they're just adjusting in the summer. They're coming off the Memorial Cup. They're coming off the OHL. They're going into training camp. They don't know what to expect. Now they're coming into a position, you're probably not playing until January. So all these players since March, they're in getting prepared. They're getting their bodies adjusted. They're getting prepared for the NHL. So I think a lot of these rookies are going to come in and surprise some people. Lefrenier might even be a top six first line guy in his first year. He might even get like 70 points. I wouldn't put that out of the question. So a lot of these guys I think are going to be a lot more because they have eight months to get into an NHL condition as opposed to like two months so i think lafreniere could be a leader on like a montreal right away this is a uh it's a very ugly option but what about the minnesota wild because they have because <laughs> they're always like good but no one really pays attention to them i think if they got that box office guy <laughs> like no one wants to see it everyone wants to see him in like montreal or ottawa or whatever but like i think they could really use them over there Oh yeah, that would, that would completely change Minnesota. That would literally, I don't really know, like that's a home run for them. If they were to lose to Vancouver in the first round, let's say like they get swept, like let's say best case scenario, Pedersen, Besser, JT Miller, and you have, uh, the goalie there, just at, uh, Markstrom, just dominate them. And yeah, man, like I, I can't really see Minnesota getting the first pick. Cause again, like you don't envision that ever. You just, they're never there. They're never in that spot. But they need it. Like Dubnik's 33, Suter's 35, Parise's 34. 
This is an old team. Eric Stahl, I, I love him. I think he's 34 too. So their core is really old. They have some young guys like Jordan Greenway. I think give them another year. You have Kevin Fiala, who, man, he's he's starting to look pretty damn solid. Um, and of course, if they get Lafreniere, that just changes the whole element of the team. They have Kap, uh, Kirill Kaprasov, who we, they've been touting for three years now. He's been in the KHL and he's been dominating. So. You could have a 1A, 1B there, but Lafreniere going to Minnesota, that would be a very, very funny uh, funny situation for him. Imagine. They used to have the box office of Parise, Heatley, Suter. Now they're getting the box office of Lafreniere. Let's do it. Let's piss everyone off. <laughs> I think that would, yeah. I think that would piss Batman off. That's why he's going to put his hands on the lottery ball. He's going to, no, 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 we're going to redo that. Sorry, no one saw that? All right, change the numbers around. It's not going to Minnesota. Not on my watch. Ship him to Arizona. Fuck out of here. <laughs> Imagine Dallas. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, they need more offense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Jamie Benn will get <laughs> traded 100% if that happened. Retain half the salary, whatever's left. If you get left for NEA, whoever takes hey, Dallas, them. Uh, is da- are they even eligible, Dallas? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're in the. Or is it the bottom round like bottom or something? Yeah, it's just uh, everyone in the playing round. Like I don't, I don't think Philly's in it either. No. Oh no, it's yeah, the playing round. So Toronto, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Montreal, Arizona, Nashville, Columbus. Uh, yeah. Oh, that would be a good one. Get towards. They lost Panarin, Bobrovsky. They get rewarded now with Lafreniere. If that were to happen. I mean, that that's not cool. bad. I don't know what he would do in Columbus for a season. Like, he would probably get, like, 60 points, but I don't really know. Uh, the, the the offense there, it's really like a two-line team, so I really don't know what to expect there. And then Dubois, though, that's a uh, – I can see that. That'd, that'd be a nice pairing. Yeah, you have, like, the you have like the two-way center in Dubois, and you have, like, the really skilled winger in Lafreniere. Yeah, that'd be that'd – be, Beautiful. And then you have Wierenski and Jones on the blue line. That's your role in there. That's solid. I think they smart how they did it now because now everyone's talking about where can this guy possibly go. So it's kind of like you get like a wrestling feel from it. It's just a big storyline. That's why Jerry knows how to get the big bucks in the NHL. Just doesn't. I don't, I don't know how you could dislike this, though. Like, I love this. I think this is oh. great. Like, it, it, there's like. Oh, yeah. Well. Like yeah, that, that like any of the bottom three teams, like I'll be pissed. Even Buffalo, like I'll be pissed off. But other than that, like it's so exciting. Like I like take in for example, like look at now where Buffalo and New Jersey are drafting. They went from potentially getting the first pick, they're now seven and eight on the board. So that like teams like that and where they're at, it's just that's just not good, especially for Buffalo. I swear you Buffalo can, has uh they're there every yeah. year. Like seven eight I know. spot. It's it's so frustrating, man. Like I don't I don't understand how they're still bad. Like they've had Eichel for five years now. They've had Reinhardt for six years. They've had Ristolainen for I think six years. So like I think it's the goaltending. I know that the, the management, it's, I think they've gone through four managers in the last like seven years, but this team to me is still a mystery. I have no idea how they're still not a playoff team where you, we've literally seen the Rangers 
go through a rebuild in like two years. And now they're, again, they're a playoff team. But again, you know, they, they got Panarin. They got Zibanejad in the trade. They got Kako, who had a terrible year. So imagine when he starts going. But, but what do you guys think is wrong with This is, I guess, this is where I'll start asking the questions, and then we can move on. But what do you guys expect in the next, like, two years with teams like Buffalo and New Jersey? Because their their core is crazy. Like, you have Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Will Butcher, uh, you have, uh, Ty Smith now on the blue line coming up. And then you go to Buffalo and you have Jack Eichel, Middlestat. You know, they, they have a lot of great players, but what, like, which team out of the two do you think is going to, is going to fold first between New Jersey and Buffalo? I want to say, um, I really do want to say New Jersey. Just because I look at the division they're in and I see how, how much better Carolina gets every year. And the Rangers are surprising people and they got to compete with the Islanders. And it looks nice on paper for all the young guys they have for the Devils, but it's just not really, it's not clicking yet. It's going to take a little while. I thought for Buffalo, I thought they'd make the fucking playoffs the last three years in a row. I'm like, okay, this is the year. They just got too much talent. And then they pull a Toronto and they're in first, the first half of the year. And then they fucking fall off a cliff the second half. So like, I don't know. You're talking about the draft for Buffalo. Like, they took Nylander eighth overall, and then they traded him. Middle stat eighth overall. He's still like lower down in the lineup. They always they like they don't really get lucky when it comes to drafting players. They don't get those superstar players. They're always they're always like in the middle, and they just miss out. And then yeah, they're both in bad situations right now. But the only thing I can say is just keep building through the draft. Yeah, they're gonna be. I think Buffalo is going to have to be forced into a trade. Like, they gave Skinner so much money after one good year. Like, that's going to come back to haunt them. So unless they buy him out later on, which I doubt, uh, Eichel, every year it's a new manager. They're probably, like, the only team that peaks in November. Like, after that, goes downhill. You can't really assess who's working, who's not. So I think you have to just look at, uh, what New Jersey's doing, like they have PK Subban. If he's going, then their whole blue line is a completely different story. So I think New Jersey's just a couple trades away. Maybe they'll package one of their younger players to get that guy who's ready to play. But Buffalo, so many should be in the mix there of like top 10 in the league. Like Eichel should be a leader on that team and getting close to 100 points, like a Matthews and Marner. So. I think that's their downfall. They have too many guys that you don't know what you're getting out of. Too many young players going up in the lineup. Uh, Sam Reinhart, you still expect this guy to get so many amount of points, but maybe he, you're not casting him in the role that he is. So yeah, Buffalo's in a weird situation, but I would go to New Jersey to turn it around quicker. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Darlene too. Like they have a top defenseman, I'd say, and he's been in the league now for two years. So, like, it's t- it's just tough to picture any success at this point in Buffalo. And, like, a- as sad as that sounds, like, they've had, like, like Pinello, like, we say, like, they don't get, like, dr- they don't get lucky in the draft. That was your guy right there. That was they the luck. Got- you got Rasmus Dahlin, first overall. There it is. There is the turnaround. That's where I thought that was it. This is where they're going to be a, a-, a playoff team. And two years in, with Rasmus Dahlin, nothing. So I really have no idea what they need to do. I think I agree with both of you guys in terms of they need to start making trades. Like, still still go through the draft, but you need to start making some key trades 
if you really want to change the culture in your city because, like, even look at guys like Zaka and you look at all these other young guys that are scratching and clawing to even make the third line and they're just holding on to them because they're young. If anything, just get rid of them at this point. Even like a middle stat, like if he doesn't make a top six role maybe by next year or like a Tage Thompson, you might have to ship one of them out. So I think they have to start realizing that not every player in the draft is going to be amazing and you kind of got to be patient. If they're not going to give you the effort and the result by like season three or four, you might have to start thinking about moving on with them because the assets will come in with all these young guys and we just got to wait and see. But in terms of guys like Jack Hughes, in terms of guys like Ty Smith, in terms of guys like like uh, like Eichel and, and Darlene, I'm not worried about those guys. It's just more about the culture. And they need more winning. Like, they need that mentality. Like, you look at Jack Eichel. He's a great player. He was on pace to get 100 points this year. Everything you just said, Alino, he was going to do it this year. This was a year where... If he, if they made the playoffs, he was easily, arguably a, a heart trophy candidate. I mean, halfway through the year, he was looking as a top five player in the league. So if, if I'm Jack Eichel, I'm doing everything right. It's not on me at this point. Like you played the blame game on Jack Eichel the last three years with the whole management issues. This was the year where Eichel proved he's not the problem at all. He's going night in, night out. He's going to score. He's going to get you the points. He's a leader. He's been the captain for three years now. So you just got to try and find a way to build around him. And unfortunately, Jeff Skinner is the is the last guy that I thought would be the guy to build around Jack. So there's my answer. Real quick, what do you think of Toronto Edmonton as a hub cities for the East and West? Oh, Danielle, take it away. Got to keep it in Canada. I love it. That's it, Crisper. Happy fucking Canada Day. What do you think about Toronto? Think they'll have good luck? Huh. Uh, damn, there's a lot of pressure there, but uh, I'm not. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about Toronto. I think we're we're in a pretty good position right now. Uh, maybe give it. Yeah, you know what, Alino? I'm not going to even uh, consider pressure in this point because I think every team is going to face pressure regardless. You know, you haven't played in four months, so. Everyone's in the same boat, so nah, we don't have a lot of pressure. I, I'll say we're we're good to go. I there think it it's going to be interesting for Edmonton. They fail to go past a play-in round, do it on their own uh, home city. That'd be pretty funny. Break everyone's hearts on their TVs. Uh, Toronto, though, this is an interesting thing. They got Rico or sorry, Coca-Cola Coliseum. They got Scotiabank Arena. Uh, if I'm the Leafs, I'm not playing in either. I'm going to uh, Madame Center or Ryerson where Maple Leaf Gardens, and I'm playing there. Uh, that's the only building that seems to have luck for this team's history. Uh, do you <laughs> think they should consider that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to Rico. They have won multiple championships there. Well, watch, watch Edmonton or Toronto win the fucking draft lottery, and then everyone's going to lose their minds. And, oh, they got all the games there, and then the first overall pick went there. This is bullshit. It would be these two teams. Just imagine Arizona goes to the final. Phil comes back to Toronto, wins a cup in Toronto. So that'd be pretty funny. Something that they wanted him to do. He does it for another team without the Leafs involved. That'd be some story right there. This guy all over the place. (laughs) This guy kills me. 
He'll win a cup in his last year with us. And that's how Phil will go out. Oh, I like it. What? All right, boys, bring up, let's bring up this freaking train wreck of a draft. Take so it away. Bloody Schustrom draft. Let's bring it up. <laughs> Take it away, Pinello. Alrighty, the 2001 NHL redraft. I, uh, I did think about it. I considered it for the first pick, but I'm going to keep it the way it is. Ilya Kovalchuk, first overall. Um, yeah, I'm going to disregard when he came back after his KHL stint, really focusing on those first 12 years. Uh, there was a stretch there where he was, him and Ovechkin were like the best players in the NHL, like those fucking six foot four, 220 pound problem. You just can't do anything with. And he was scoring 40 goals multiple times. He, he really is like, I consider him like a generational talent. He really was one of the better players in the league. Um, he was so much fun to watch. So, uh, I considered it, but yeah, I got to give it to Kovalchuk. He's still in the number one spot for me. He's off the board. Alino, you're next, buddy. Yeah, looking at this is a 2001 draft. They have a lot of guys that won Stanley Cups and accomplished a lot, but I'm still going to go with Kovalchuk. I agree there, Pinello. Like, he was one of the best goal scorers for a decade straight, and he was a big threat. Every time someone played Atlanta, uh, he'd be the focal point. So you would have to put him there, even though Atlanta didn't have any uh, success in the playoffs. Just the kind of player he was, I think, is worthy of that number one overall pick. I don't think he's a bust. Like, people say, oh, he didn't win a cup, or he never had success with New Jersey. Like, they just went to the final, but he wasn't, it wasn't his team. It was more like Parise. So, I still think he's a first overall pick there by a mile. Uh, but yeah, like, what he could have accomplished maybe if he didn't go to Atlanta and he got drafted, let's say, by Ottawa or even Tampa. It's, uh, kind of interesting to think about, but yeah, he's still first overall pick right there. Yeah, I'm going with Ilya Kovalchuk by a hair. Um, I really did consider Spezza going first overall, but I'm taking Kovalchuk just based off of the, the scoring, you know, uh, everything you guys said. Even uh, I'd say his second year in the league on that really bad Atlanta team, he showed how polarizing he was. And, uh, yeah, he was probably what – even uh, in the 2011, like, New Jersey playoff run, like, he was very vital. Yeah, him and him and Broder there at, at that time, and also Parise. But Kovalchuk was also at times a very underrated leader. Uh, a lot of people forget that trait of his. Like he was, he led that, that team for quite some time in 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 Atlanta, and then uh, we all know, you know, what happened after that. But he he to me, uh, one of the most dominating six foot four guys I've I've, I've ever seen. His shot is lethal. He was also never afraid to hit. He would be a, a very physical presence. He had a perfect blend of physicality, you know, just skill and just, he just had, I think he had everything, you know, uh, his defensive game at times was not the greatest, but he was that skilled winger, that generational winger that dominated the league in torching. So yeah, Ilya Kovalchuk, uh, he he just went number one by a hair. It was close, but yeah, he's still the number one pick in the O one draft. And uh, yeah, going to number two, no surprise there, Jason Spezza, the bona fide Toronto Maple Leaf killer. I fucking hated watching Spezza growing up. Uh, he's pushing a thousand points. He's been in the league 
for so long now. He's always been a productive player. Um, when he, oh my God, you guys remember when he first got into the league, him and Heatley and Hosa and every time we played them, oh my God. I, I just felt like we never had a fucking chance. They would always put up like eight spotters up against us and we just didn't have the guys to keep up with them. So I personally hate Spezza, but, um, he is a phenomenal player. Um, even in his, his stint in Dallas, when he had that 33 goal year when he first got there and helping them in the playoffs a little bit, um, ran into a little bit of injury problems, but like there was never a time where anyone's, he's kind of fallen off the last couple of years. It kind of happens, but throughout then in his first 15 years, he's just been a consistent number one center. Well, yeah. Yeah, I got Spezza there too. Everything, like he went to the final two, like five years in. So he was a main guy there on Ottawa when they had Healy, Alfredson, all those guys like Chara. So, uh, he was one of those guys that came in really quickly and solidified himself in that top six and really became that guy where everybody wanted him as a number one center. And then all those trade rumors. And then he goes to Dallas. He was really good his first year. Uh, the second, literally tailed off a little bit, but he was still productive for there. And then with the Leafs now, you can see that he's a good playmaker. Even that his, uh, his speed's not obviously there all the time, but he is productive for what he brings to the team, leadership. So I still have him at number two. The only reason why I would have considered Spezza number one was just based off of the 05, 06, or the 06, 07 run that he had. I thought he was a little better than Kovalchuk that year. Uh, he went to the finals, you know, he had 22 and 20 playoff games. He was dominant, but I just want to talk quickly about his 06, 07 season. Like he's 22 years old. He had 87 points in 67 games in the regular season. That's absolutely absurd. Uh, the year after that, he had 92 points. And then of course, remember guys, when he had that really scary injury in 2012, he played five games. And then the year after that, he comes back and he gets 66 and 75. So the consistency for Spezza, for me, he was a more consistent player than Kovalchuk, I think. And I think he was a little bit more um, successful in terms of getting to that moment. I mean, Kovalchuk, I think he does. Th- does he have a cup now with uh, with the Kings? No, no, uh, no he doesn't have it. He still doesn't have a cup, which is unfortunate. So both of them don't, but like... Spets has gotten closer to that moment. I think, uh, I don't know, like, Spet- I love Spetsa. I love, I've loved him over the years. I think he's hit 30 goals, I think, five times in his career. Uh, you know, not as successful as a scorer as Kovalchuk, but he was more of the playmaker. He was the playmaker for Heater back to back 50, 50, 06, 07. <laughs> love, love that, love that meme. Um, Heater's a legend. Uh, Spets is also a legend. Without Spetsa, there possibly is no 50 and 07. So, with that being said, Spets is the clear-cut number two, but I really thought long and hard he might have been the number one pick. So, Spets is easily number two for me. This is, uh, okay, this is where it gets tricky. I struggled on this one. At number three, originally, Alexander Svitov. You could throw that right out the fucking window. <laughs> I got Patrick Sharp at number three. Oh. Ah, yes. I knew you'd like that, Crisper. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a late bloomer, Philadelphia Flyers draft pick. That's why I like them even more. They got rid of them. Uh, took a little while, you know, 
getting his feet wet in the league. And then I think, I can't remember the year, so I don't have the stats in front of me. He had that 35-36 goal season. And then there was like a seven, eight-year stretch where he was just putting up high 20, 30 goals. And he was a really underrated player on that Hawks team because he'd got fucking Taves and Kane and Keith and Seabrook. And then Sharp would kind of fly under the radar. But, um, yeah, I'd say that seven, eight-year stretch. And even when he went to Dallas, like fucking Spezza, he was still pretty salty. He was contributing there. So you got to love Patty Sharp. Struggled on this one. A lot of guys, uh, a lot of good guys coming up. But I got him in the third spot. I struggled with this one. I was thinking Sharp, but Sharp wasn't the guy when he was on Chicago. Like, he wasn't the number one scorer. So I think he like excelled at being that third option on the wing. And that's why I'm going to go with Meek Koivu at number three, because I think if you had both of them in their prime, like one for one, who do you think would be the most impact on your team would lead you to a cup? I think if you put Koivu on the third line on that Chicago team, it would just be like an unbelievable two-way forward, similar to like what Taves can do, except Meek Koivu not as offensively gifted, but he still did produce throughout his career with the Wild, and uh, I don't know what he's going to do this summer, but I still have him number three just on those first 10 years in the league. I think if he just had the right team around him, uh, more than just Marion Gabrick, who was just trying to get out and go to New York and Columbus after that. So if he had a guy that really wanted to be a part of that group in Minnesota to go to a cup and actually wanted to be there and grow with him, had a team around him like that, I think. Miku Koivu would have accomplished a lot more. Oh, I like that. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Uh, Alino with Koivu going third, but uh, I got I got Sharp as well going third. Just I have the edge there just because of, you know, the three cups he has, um, you know, what he's done in his career. Uh, he came in, he came onto the scene basically in 06. That was the year uh, where Taves got drafted. Or no, sorry, it was a 07-08 season. That was the year where he he was uh, his line mate was a rookie, Patrick Kane. He had 36 goals in his first year. Uh, sorry, second year with Chicago. That was like the breakout for him. And then after that, he was basically a consistent 60 point scorer for like eight nine years with Chicago. He had around yeah, he averaged around 63 every year. He had 40 44 and 60, 66 and 80, 71 and and then here it is, 2010 to around 2014, he was almost a point a game. So that was absolutely phenomenal. He was consistently at around 30 goals. I remember I had, I had him in my fantasy in uh, 2013. He had the most hat tricks that year, 34 goals. You wouldn't assume he had the most hat tricks, but he would go off 78 points. Uh, and at that time, I think he was 31, so... Uh, what he brought to the table also in the playoffs, I thought was underrated. He was a very great secondary scorer. I think he was literally the definition of that. When you look at, you know, Chicago's team, like you think of like a double OT, like you just assume Taves and, and Kane, but at times you, you got to be just as scared of Patrick Sharp in that situation because he was that good. So I got Patrick Sharp at number three, but, uh, I, I, I do have Miko Koivu at number four. So. Pinello, take away your number four. Uh, number four. I guess this is controversial now. Uh, Mike Camilleri. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's high. He should have been a leaf. Um, 
just uh, when I think of him, he seems kind of polarizing. Just a dynamic goal scorer over the course of his career. He lit it up on those fucking shit L.A. teams with a young Kopitar and Frolov, and that's all I can remember. Little stint in Calgary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really don't – I can't remember why Calgary traded him after his one year. I think he had 80-something points that year. Shipped to Montreal, back to Calgary. It's just a mess a little later on, but he ran into a little bit of injury problems, but every time he was playing, he was always a, a difference maker. Just love watching him set up from the slot and fucking hammer it. Um, I really wish he was a Leaf. Maybe this is why he's this high, but I'm giving Mike Camilleri love. He's in my number four spot. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go with Patrick Sharp, who I had edged out at number three. Uh, everything you guys mentioned, he's produced, he was productive, reliable. Uh, led to a lot in Chicago during those cup runs. So, yeah, my number four, Patrick Sharp. Yeah, my number four, we all have different guys. I got Miko Koivu here at number four. I think what he's done for Minnesota is huge. He's been there so long that he was there with a guy named Marion Gaverick. So he's been in Minnesota for a very, very long time. He's consistently, when you think, at least I remember Pinella when we were doing our fantasy draft in like, like 2013, like he was that type of guy where you just assumed like, okay, this is the year where he falls off. This is the year where he falls off. And he would just consistently keep getting around 55 points. And you're like, okay, like he is that great third line center that will just, Get it done for you. He'll get you 50 points every year, regardless of the role he's in. Yes, he plays power play, which at times I don't agree with, but who else is going to play it in Minnesota? So Miku Koibu to me has been that guy. He's been that uh, loyalty is not something that's very prominent nowadays in the NHL. So you see, you don't see that often anymore. So kudos to Koibu, especially on a team like Minnesota. And, um, just, uh, he's been the captain there for, I don't know how long now. I'll say what, like eight years, nine years. So he's been the captain there for a long time. He's, he's done his role. If anything, you might have to retire his jersey there. He's been there for a very long time. So he's that important to that franchise. I think Miko Koivu going number four overall is appropriate. And he's still not on my list. Number five, Jason Pominville. From the Buffalo Sabres. Um, another guy, just a very consistent two-way winger throughout his career. Um, much like Spezza, this guy, I just hated watching him because he would always kill us, him and fucking Ennis and Roy and all those guys. Um, just a consistent 60-point guy. He had an 80-point year within the first few years of his career. Um, and then shipped off to Minnesota and still producing. So this, I look at this guy. He's got over a thousand games in the NHL. He's got 727 points. Doesn't really touch the playoffs often. That's not really his fault. But uh, this is—he's been a good player for a long time. So uh, I give Jason Pominville love at number five. Yeah, number five. It's a tough one. I'm gonna go with the defenseman. Give some of them a little love. I'm gonna go Christian Erhoff. Uh <laughs> This might be a big jump. Uh, he was drafted, uh, maybe some people had Ham Hughes higher than him, but, uh, I don't know, I just liked Erhoff's ability. Kind of reminded me a little bit of Caberlet with his puck moving and on the power play, he was able to just quarterback everything and set guys up. 
Uh, he was reliable when he was on Vancouver. Uh, and then after went away, went to a couple teams, but that span over there and then Buffalo and, uh, everything he did with Vancouver during their run, I got him at the top there for defenseman. So Christian Erhoff. Yeah, I got Jason Palmanville at number five as well. I have him over Camilleri. Uh, just the year he had with, when he was with Afeniganov, we saw how great he was as a, I think he was a right winger. Uh, he was, a, an, again, kind of like a Patrick Sharp. He was a great secondary scorer. He was never the guy there, but, you know, being loyal, he, he was, he was very loyal in Buffalo. I think he was captain for like two, three years there as well. And then, of course, he goes to Minnesota. Everyone thinks, okay, this is a, a bad move for him. And he had 30 and 30. He had 60 points that year. I remember picking him up in fantasy. So, Pominville was a guy, he, again, like Pinello said, he had 700 points. He had more points, believe it or not, than Patrick Sharp when all was said and done. But Pominville was, was another great secondary player. And he was the definition of, you can't just watch out for Danny Briere and Afinaganov. You got to remember that there's Jason Pominville, Derek Roy. That was a great Buffalo team. Pominville was basically the guy that I thought, out of all the guys there, I thought he was the guy that was going to be the long-term option. And he was. He was there, I think, another six years after that. So I got to give love to Jason Pominville as much as I love my Camilleri. I have Jason Pominville over Camilleri in the fifth spot. Going to number six here, Miko Koivu. Uh, yeah, you guys pretty much said everything. Just a very good two-way center. Uh, the second he got into the league, he's basically thrown into the top six, and he's been there ever since. They probably should retire his jersey. I don't know any other player that has played with this fucking team their whole career. Um, his stats aren't as blown up because he, he hasn't really had the help over the years. Uh, him and Gabrick, if, oh my God, if that worked out, if they stayed together, that'd be awesome. But definitely he's done so much for that franchise, and uh, we got him here at number six. I'm going to give the goalie some love. I'm going Mike Smith right here at number six. Uh, even though he wasn't that great after his stint in Tampa, right when he went to Arizona, the Phoenix Coyotes, that was a game changer. He was the most important player for them, him and Shane Doan, and just his performances in net carried them to that conference final. He was just lights out every game. So if I'm getting that kind of Mike Smith on my team drafting in the top 10, I'm taking him at that spot. Yeah, my number six is Mike Camilleri. Um he, uh, I remember watching that season with Calgary when he, when he went there for the one year after, uh, having that great stint in LA. His first, I think, four years in LA was pretty good. He averaged around 60 points. And then he goes to Calgary in 0809 with Dion Phaneuf and he just had 82 points in 81 games. And then for some stupid reason, they just gave up on him. Maybe the fit they thought wasn't going to work. And then he went to Montreal. And you know what he did? He had 13 goals and 19 playoff games that year. He knocked off Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin in the same playoff. I remember uh, Carabetta loved that. He, he used to chirp me all the time about that. But like, that's how important Camilleri was at that time and how dominant he was. He had 19 points and 19 playoff games. He capped off that playoff performance by eliminating arguably the top two players in this generation and Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin. Now, both respectfully cup winners, thank God. But Mike Camilleri, man, like the seasons he had in Montreal, that season he had in Calgary, even in New Jersey in 2015, he had 38 points in 42 games. 
The injury slowed him down. If he didn't have injuries, this guy probably could have gotten near a thousand points. That's how good he was. Um, I got Mike Camilleri at number six. Going to number seven, uh, turtleneck, Thomas Placanics. <laughs> uh, oh my God, another player I just hated. <laughs> uh, very similar to Koivu, I think. Um, the second he got there, he was put in that role. Just a good shutdown two-way guy that'll get you 50 to 60 most years. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at his stats now and just seeing ter- he played 17 games with Toronto just fucks up that whole thing and then goes back to Montreal for three games. But uh, I think since the year 2000, he, one of the better Montreal players, very loyal there, uh, just a solid player all around. So I got Thomas Placanics at seven. Yeah, I got Mike Camilleri at seven. Uh, everything you guys were saying, I think skill level was there. Uh, that year he took out Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin was a year he was just really coming into his prime, and I think the injuries just play a huge role in maybe him not living up to what other teams expected out of him. But I think during that time before he got injured, he was one of the top uh, playmakers, uh, skaters, all-around skilled players in the league. So I got him at that spot. Yeah, number seven, I got Mike Smith. Um, just based off of what he did in Arizona, what he's still doing now, actually. He's one of the best um puck-moving goalies I've ever seen in terms of hands. Uh, he's very nifty with that. But, yeah, his run, like you said, Alino, with Arizona, him and Shane Doan were huge uh, at that time. They they upset they upset Nashville and they upset Chicago that year. Uh, Corey Crawford had a terrible series. I remember that. But, yeah, Arizona that year was – or, sorry, Phoenix. They were uh, They were the story of that year. Uh, Mike Smith was the story of that year as well. I remember when he got traded to from Tampa Bay, he was like distraught. He was in his car sitting there for like day, like not days, but like hours. And he kind of like what, what happened with DeMar DeRozan. Like he's kind of like the NHL version of that. He was just distraught. He was heartbroken. He goes to Phoenix and he just turns it on. And he had, I think, around a 925 save that year. There was no one that was going to beat Jonathan Quick that year, but if there was someone that was, it was Mike Smith. Unfortunately, he came up a little short, but it's it's not a it's not a huge loss losing to the Stanley Cup champs that year. So Mike Smith had a career uh, a career year that year, and looking back at you know what he did for Phoenix as a franchise, he did a lot for them. So I got Mike Smith at number seven. Uh, yeah, I got I got Smith at eight. Um... The thing I'd say about him, he wasn't really blessed with the best teams. So whenever he had those, like whenever his teams had success, he was a very big reason why. And I just, I think back to the Arizona, that's pretty much it. And he had a couple good years in Dallas, uh, in Tampa Bay before they really started to take off. But what he did for that, uh, Phoenix franchise back at that time, just awesome stuff. Uh, he was just, he was starting last year and like 37, 38 years old. The guy's still rolling. So. He went very late in this draft. He made all of our top tens, so that is awesome. Mike Smith at number eight. Yeah, here's where it gets tough. I'm debating here on those two Buffalo guys, like Pominville, Derek Roy. I'm going to edge this out. I think Derek Roy, little guy, wasn't the biggest of threats when you see him. He's not the most intimidating guy, but he can be a really good playmaker on the team with the right line mates. Uh, I like what he did when he 
like wherever he's gone, he was uh, a difference maker at times. And uh, I remember just that year, 69 points. Uh, he comes in and on both need those guys on your team. Other than Breer or Finneganoff, he was like a guy you have to watch out for. Palmanville is a guy on the wing where if he coasts around, he could get to 20 goals easily. But he's not like the main threat that you're going to make your whole game plan around. I think Derek Roy gives a lot of defensive uh, teams, a lot of defensive defensemen, a lot of problems because you have to watch them. They have to maintain that doesn't get all that speed coming in the neutral zone and find the guy like Briere or Finneganoff. So I think Derek Roy was more of a threat there. So I have him at that spot. Yeah, my number eight is Turtleneck, Thomas Placanitz. Uh He was incredible. Uh, he was incredibly loyal for that team. I remember him in 09, he had 70 points. He was, uh, he had, he had that great line. I think it was Placanitz. I think it was Koivu and Ribeiro. I'm not really sure. Or no, uh, oh, what the hell was that? Dude, guy's those name? are almost set up in. Uh, who was, who was, there was, there was one guy that I, I can't remember his name right now. Michael Ryder. I'm pretty hey. sure that's who, I'm pretty sure that's who he was playing with. So. I remember that line. That line killed the Leafs at times. Uh, Placanitz, yeah, he uh, he's not very well liked by Leaf fans, but I got to give him the respect. He was loyal for a long time. He was a consistent 55 point player for like a decade there. So you got to give Turtleneck some love. I'm giving him love at number eight. Going to number nine, we got Derek Roy, primarily for the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, I think if he was coming into the league now, it would just be awesome for him. Just suits his game, all these little guys, little runs running around. But yeah, uh, he had 15 and 18 in his first playoff run with Buffalo, which is a little surprising when I saw that. Other than that, not a whole lot of playoff action, but you know, with the, with the core of guys, what you were saying with uh, Palmerville and Finneganoff and Breer and all those guys, he always produces 80 point year one time in 07, 08. It, it looks like, he never really overstayed his welcome. He had a stint in Dallas and traded to Vancouver. Uh, he almost had 40 back with St. Louis. And then he, you know, he's playing in the KHL now. So, uh, just, a, just a good player for a while. Um, yeah, I think he would fit right in today, but, uh, I was very surprised by his totals. I didn't think he had that much, that many games and that many points. So, uh, it's awesome to see for Derek Roy. I got him in the ninth spot. Yeah, I got Pondville, yeah, everything there that you said. Just pretty much the same thing. Just a guy you can rely on to get 20, come in, reliable top six. Pondville right there. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're all going with Buffalo. I'm going Derek Roy as well at number nine. Uh, like, again, like, he could fit in today's NHL, but the only reason why, I'm, why I have him at number nine, other than the 15 points and 18 playoff games at, like, 22 years old, the first four years he had in Buffalo were literally picture perfect. Again, he did have that core there with Briere, Drury. He had a lot of great guys. But, like, he comes in 46 points as a rookie, and then he gets 63, 81, 70, and then 69. So, like, he was just amazing for, like, four or five years in Buffalo. He was looked at, I'd say after the 81-point year, he was looked at as, like, one of the guys there, like the top guys finally. So Derek Roy to me, again, like you said, he didn't overstay his welcome in the league. I think he was in the league until around like 33, 34 years old. 
And then he dipped. He went to the KHL. Now he's playing, I think, in the Dell League. But, um, yeah, uh, Derek Roy, hell of a player, hell of a leader. It's unfortunate he didn't see a lot of playoff games, but he did play for Buffalo. Um, I didn't I, like I, I didn't like how Buffalo just traded him, and then that was kind of it for him. I think that that really screwed him over. I think if he stayed in Buffalo, he probably would have had a better career. But again, sometimes you know teams just trade you for for business reasons, and that was it. So I have Derek Roy at number nine. At the number ten spot, I got Kevin Bieska. Let's go. <laughs> but uh, yeah. He was just a fucking tough player. Um, I'm seeing three 40-point years. This is news to me right now. But, um, you know, he's one of those guys. He goes out there on the ice, and he always makes a difference. Yeah, he could play any way he wants. He was always a force out there. Um, yeah, really solid for Vancouver for a long time. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him love here, number 10. Yeah, this is tough now once you get to this spot because there's so many guys that you can – Really put at 10. There's no guys that just jump out at you like, oh my god, you have to put them at 10. There's so many guys that are like in and out. You can just put them all over the place or a dime a dozen. Like, uh, just all these defensemen I saw jump off the list like Koliakovo. Then you have Alex Hemsky at forward, Bieksa. <laughs> John likes to call him. Then you got Seidenberg up here. It's like, there's so many guys that are like third and fourth or second pair defensemen that you can find anywhere. They're not like that first one that you're hitting and missing on. But if I'm going to go off the board here, knowing what I know now and uh, the last few years especially, I'm going to go Craig Anderson at number 10. Uh, uh-huh. Everything he did in that 2012 playoff run. And then uh, being a good leader, being reliable, one of the most reliable guys the Senators have, which isn't a lot on their team. He's a guy that's uh, a good leader for his team and a good, reliable goalie. So I got Craig Anderson, number 10. I got Craig Anderson as well at number 10. I think what you would kind of like what you said, like I'll say from 20, like I didn't know a whole lot about him when he was playing with Colorado and Florida. But ever since he's gone to Ottawa, I think this is his 10th season there, 10th or 11th season with Ottawa. He's been there forever. And the story, we all know the story a couple of years ago. Um, he was literally a win away from going to the Stanley Cup final. Um, that's how good of a season he had with Ottawa that year. And, you know, what happened with his wife, it was very unfortunate. But check this out, guys. He had a 926 save that year. So other than, like, the last three years where I, I, I completely washed his stats because we all know how bad Ottawa's been the last three years. Other than that, he's had like a 926, a 923, a 916, a 941, a 917 save. So when you look at save percentage, it doesn't get a lot better consistently, at least in this decade, than Craig Anderson, as funny as that sounds. So Craig Anderson, I'm giving him love here at number 10. Uh, he easily actually could have been exactly where Mike Smith was, but I had the edge on him, but man. What a decade it's been for Craig Anderson. We're going to 15 here, boys. I don't know. Honorable kind of mentions. <laughs> Who you mentions? Throwing in there. <laughs> uh, well, I had Craig Anderson next, but you guys said everything, so fuck you. So I will take it right to Alice Hemsky. Remember that name? Oh, Silky yeah. <laughs> Silky Smooth Winger. 
he was fucking solid for Edmonton for a while. You think of that playoff run back in uh, 05, 06. <laughs> um, Too long. <laughs> yeah, he was just kind of flew under the radar. I, I can't really remember what happened with him. Like, he was always solid. He even had, uh, I think it was 20 games in Ottawa, and he was like almost a point per game. And then he just kind of got phased out of the league. I, th- I think, oh my God, you know what, actually? Just thought of this now. Dallas picked up like half these guys later up in their career. Spezza and Sharp and Hemsky, they all fucking played together. So, like, I, he was still productive there, but his days at Edmonton were just, he was awesome to watch at times. Yeah. I got, uh, this is a surprise here. Actually, not for me, it's a surprise. You guys had him pretty high. I got Turtleneck Tommy from Montreal. I just fucking hated that team, but he was so good for them. And he just, the little things he would do, like he wouldn't have like 95 points, 100 points, or like, oh my God, this guy's the best in the world. But just as a defensive presence on that team, how reliable he was, even on a penalty kill, he's a guy that you can put out there and he would, it would be calming for the defense. Like he'd get you out of trouble. He's just the kind of guy that you want on that fourth and third line that you could put up and down. And yeah, just what he did in Montreal during his prime and the short time he was in Toronto, like hopefully I think every we all hoped it would have gone better, but at least he got to finish his career in Montreal, so I got him at that spot. I got uh for honorable mentions, I'll start this one off pretty uh pretty controversial. I'll go with uh I'll go with Brooks like here. I thought, you know, I thought long and hard for for this guy, but like you, like we talk about guys like Jay McClement, and we talk about guys like that, like they they don't get enough love. Brooks, like to me, does not get enough love. Um, he had a couple fifty point years in Washington. He's basically the third line. He's a third line legend there in Washington. What he did, he was there for like seven. No, what am I saying? He was there for like ten years. Uh, he was there for a very long time. It's unfortunate. And then you go to. I'll never forget his run with the Leafs. You know, he had one goal in 20 games, but man, I just loved his effort. <laughs> he was a beauty. Um, but yeah, going back to like 2006 to like 2010, he, uh, he had 20 goals three consistently three years in a row, 21, 23, 25, playing with Alex Semin, playing at, at times with the guys like Nick Backstrom. Uh, he knew what his role was. Even when it came down to the playoffs, he was a guy that you would, consistently play it in the third period in like the last five minutes trying to shut down the other team's best players so for me brooks like i know it could be controversial but i don't think he gets enough love so i'll have him here to start the honorable mentions i'll throw uh i'll throw another guy that gets absolutely no love whatsoever and that is steven weiss uh i think people just look at the fourth overall and think oh wow he never hit this amount of points so he's a bust and look at all the guys that went after him but um, I think, like, depending on the team, he was a solid second, third-line center. There was a stretch where he had, like, in between 42 and 60 points for five, six years. I think that injury in 2012-13 really fucked him up, and then he went out to Detroit. But um, very similar to, like, um, he was a skilled player, but a little further down in the lineup, just because he went fourth overall, everyone thought he's going to Florida, and he could be the number one guy, and he should do this. And he was kind of miscast over there, so... I've always liked Steven Weiss. Uh, he had a good stretch, so, uh, yeah, got to love it. Give him some love. Yeah, I like Steven Weiss, but I saw Dan Ham. He was a little higher up there just because of all the ice time he got. And when he was in Nashville, Vancouver, he would be top two defenseman easily for them. 
He'd be in all their situations where you're, all the important situations. I still had Airhoff though higher than him, but Ham Hughes for what he was, I'll put him at that 11 spot. But I do like Stephen Weiss, so uh, I'll okay. put him at 12. <laughs> yeah, I'll put 12. Stephen Weiss, 11. Dan Ham Hughes. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, if this is like uh, 12, I'll go with Kevin Bieksa of Vancouver. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys talked about him when I cut out because I heard Vancouver, so I assume that was Bieksa. Uh, he played <laughs> played there for, I think, 10 seasons, then he finished his career in Anaheim. But this guy was one of the best shot blockers I've ever seen. He was a very gritty, stay-at-home defenseman. And then all of a sudden, in 2011, he had 44 points, and he had no business getting that. Um, he hit 40 points three times in his career. Surprise, that's probably the most surprising stat for me. I never saw him being that offensively gifted uh, defenseman, uh, especially at a time where you had other options there, especially in Vancouver. But I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm going with BX here just based off of his defensive ability. He'll shut you down. He'll, he'll hit you. He'll, he'll bruise you. He'll just, he'll, he'll, he'll run you down. So I, I you need a, you needed a defenseman like that on your team. Um, he was a very important role player, especially on Vancouver for the cup run. You have, when you have guys like Bieksa and Burroughs, um, that really makes it easier for guys like the Sedins. So without Bieksa, we don't really know how far they potentially could have gone, but he averaged a lot of minutes in that playoff run. He had 10 points. He had five goals. So I'll give some love here. Number 12, Kevin Bieksa. Uh, 13 here. I got UC Jokinen who played so much longer than I thought. He had 951 games. He was on the move every three fucking years. I don't know why. He always produced, uh, yeah, 40 to 60 points, depending on the year. Uh, I remember that year in Florida he had with, um, was it was it him, Fleischman, and Verstique, and they made the fucking playoff. They won the division that year. Remember that with, like, 92 points? Ah, uh, um, they lost Jersey. Yeah, that was the year. Holy shit, throwing rats on the ice. I haven't seen that in like 20 years at that point. But like, yeah, just a very skilled player. Everyone knows him from the fucking one-hander and his nifty shootout moves. And he was just a fun player. He reminds me a lot of Hemsky. I was going back and forth with these guys. So, yeah, UC Jokinen at uh, 13. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, another one off the list here. Kind of a surprise of where he went. P.A. Parento. Yeah. Uh, showing him some love. Former Leaf. Uh, he was productive more than in his career. Uh, he had 67 points, and I think 2011. So he was a good guy there for Colorado. And uh, when he was on the Leafs, he actually came into his own. I'm surprised he didn't really get more for him. Couldn't even get a big trade for him. But I got P.A. Parento in that number 13. My number 13 is Dan Hamuse. Kind of like what you said before. Uh, he he. He was amazing at times where no one thought he was amazing, especially 2014. He goes to Sochi and everyone's kind of like, well, why is Dan Hamus going to Team Canada? And he goes to Team Canada. And I remember watching the U.S. game and he literally was just he was out there with Shea Weber for like 24, 25 minutes. And I'm just looking at how great of a shutdown defenseman he was. And I'm like. Okay, that's why they took him here. Uh, he's he's one of the better shutdown defensemen at the time in the league. And kind of like exactly what I said about BX, I'll say about Hamus, except not to the extent of as aggressive. He was a stay-at-home D that you needed. And um, 
I, it was just when Dan Hamus went to Sochi and how well he played, that was eye-opening for me, at least seeing how great of a player he was. So I'll give him love. He's kind of not he, like not offensively gifted like a Ryan Suter, but he's been a workhorse for years in the league. Uh, I think he's averaged that like since 2011, I think he's averaged around 23, 24 minutes. So he's played a lot of hockey. So I got to give Dan Hamus credit. So I, I got him at 13. At 14, Dan Hamhuse. He is Ron Hainsey on steroids. Every player needs, or every team needs a player like this. The guy's just going to go out there and play half the game and do all the things no one wants to do. So, uh, yeah, I love him in Team Canada. He had a role there. It was just awesome. Um, yeah, don't look at the stats because he's not a fucking stat guy, but this, a guy like Dan Hamhuse, every team should have a guy like that just to go out there and muck it up. So, he is still rolling. He has played over, oh my god, he's got 1,100 games in the league. So this guy, what a fucking athlete. Keep going, bud. 14, Brooks Lake. Uh, Washington's go-to third liner was really good there. Was uh, important at times there with uh, Eric Fair on that third line. And uh, he was someone that Washington needed. They had all the goal scoring with Ovechkin and Backstrom and Semin. They needed that defensive presence in Brooks Light, so he came in there. Really important piece. Uh, it's just too bad they didn't win a cup when he was there. He was a loyal guy. But, uh, yeah, former Leaf, too. So, Brooks Light, right there. Number 14. Number 14, the QMJHL legend, Alice Hemsky. Um, <laughs> like, the first year in Edmonton, he had 30 points. And then, of course, you go remember when he went to the Stanley Cup Finals, he had 17 and 24 games. Him and Ryan Smith were an outstanding duo. Um, him in Edmonton, he was amazing. Like Pinello said, he was very nifty at a time where it was basically all about grit, especially in the Western Conference. You would just get pummeled almost every night, and he somehow at 6 feet, 175, managed to get around 70 points for like about four years. He had 77, then he had 55 and 65, and then 71. So he was very consistent. He was never a goal scorer. He was a really nifty playmaker. So, um, it, yeah, like you also mentioned, like when he went to Dallas, uh, a lot of people thought that that was like a great piece for Dallas, but unfortunately it, it never really panned out. He was around 30, 30, 32, 33 at the time when he went there. But like even his time in Ottawa in 2013, like he had 17 and 20 games, but I do think that injury kind of screwed him over in terms of pr productivity in the long run. But I just love what Alice Hemsky brought to the table, especially for Edmonton and especially at a time where size actually did matter and he was uh, out of the norm. He did his job and he did it well. So I have Hemsky at 14. Alrighty, the last pick here, 15. Chris, you're going to love this. Merrick Zidlicki. Woo! Just a fucking straight offensive defenseman. Power play facilitator. He had 53 points in his rookie year. Um, yeah, I could really bomb it from the point. Really consistent offensive numbers over the course of his career. So 836 games, put up over 400 points. You gotta love it. He gets my last spot. Yeah, my last spot, 15. You know what? It should be guys like Alex Hemsky and uh, all these other guys here, 
you know, just going down the list like UC Jokinen. But you know what? Fuck those guys. I'm going to go Kyle Wellwood, number 15. I love Kyle <laughs> Wellwood. <laughs> Loved him on the Leafs. He was a fan favorite playing on that line with, like, Kilger and Tucker sometimes. We'd see him the odd time with Sundin on the power play. Very rare, but... In the shootout, you can rely on Kyle Wellwood to come in, do a dangle, score a goal. Love Kyle Wellwood. He's a leaf, so I'm going him at 15. Yeah, number 15, just like Pinello, Merrick Zidlitsky comes in the league two years drafted before Shea Weber, but he was the offensive defenseman in Nashville before Shea Weber. So that's something to – that's pretty funny thinking about that. But, yeah, he had 53-82 and 82 in his first year. 49 after that, and then he was consistently at 40 for like four years, even after going to Minnesota. We saw what he did in New Jersey. You know, he didn't play a lot that year. He had 10 and 22, but then when it came to the playoffs, he had 10 and 24. So that was really important. And then, of course, he was great. He was, again, consistent for another couple of years in New Jersey. Even in the lockout year, he managed to get like 20 points in 40 games. So for me, I, I yeah, give me Mary Zidlitsky. He was a great offensive defenseman, and uh, I appreciate him. So Mary Zidlitsky at number 15. Yo, didn't Wellwood have two 40-point years with us? He did. He was a stud. <laughs> I remember he had, like, he was fucking amazing in the AHL, and then he came in hot, and uh, there, was, there was just so much buzz around him. I don't know what happened, but he was a fan favorite. Oh, then he six, went to Winnipeg. Uh, Good times. Gotta love it. Take us home, Crisper. All right. Well, that should be it for episode 88. We redrafted the 01 draft. We talked about the hub cities. We talked about the draft lottery. Who do you guys think would be the best fit for Alexis Lafreniere? Make sure to comment, listen on all of our all of our platforms, CastBox, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever, you name it, we will be there. Um, just make sure to stay tuned. This is Giancarlo Alino, Anthony Pinello, Chris Martelli in the zone, signing off.